You're listening to Sports Digital and Social with Mr. Richard Clark. I do think they're a little bit on the late side. I first played for Great Britain's national team in 1996, and there were discussions and hopes of this occurring well back then. It was a a deeply emotional time and and very heartbreaking because there was an expectation when London received the Olympics that this was going to be a huge opportunity uh, to create a big push for baseball in the UK. It was one of the greatest brilliance of Major League Baseball. You know, they've been slow potentially in other areas, but when it came to issues relating uh, to the internet, to streaming, uh, they were at the foreground of it. Hi there. Baseball is coming to London in 2019. The Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees will face off in a couple of games at the London Stadium. It's seen as a crucial moment for baseball and its international expansion. I wanted to explore the topic, so I phoned up Josh Chetwin. For me, Josh is an expert in all aspects of baseball. He's written history books on it, played the game at minor league and international level. He's been an agent, he's been a broadcaster, He's been literally everything. He could put this into context. Very wide-ranging topic where we talk about the future of baseball as a sport, the challenges it faces, and what it's got to do to break into the UK market. Remember to go to mrrichardclark.com for other episodes of Sport, Digital and Social. And then there's my other podcast, Football Indonesia. You'll also find my blog, my newsletter, and all the other content I create as well. Anyway, here's Josh and that fantastic baseball CV. I'm Josh Chetwin. I am 46. (laughs) I live now in Denver, Colorado, but I was born in the UK, in London, England. Uh, I played baseball at the Division I college level at a school called Northwestern University, which is in the Big Ten, and then went on to play uh, a season, a half season. I was released uh, of minor league professional baseball in the U.S. Ultimately, though, my British birth got me to the British national team. I played for the uh, Great Britain national team for 10 years. I was the team captain for a portion of that. I also worked for Major League Baseball as a communications executive uh, and then went on to broadcast Major League Baseball games in the U.K., first for Channel 5 for a number of years, on television, and then as a radio broadcaster for the BBC, I covered a number of World Series for them as well, as well as doing a a show on BBC Five Live Sports Extra. And uh, I've also represented a number of baseball players who, as an agent, I'm a lawyer as well, who are European. That's uh, been sort of my area of focus. So I've done that as well. I've also was the general manager for the South African team in the World Baseball Classic, and I've written a number of books, including two on European baseball. So <laughs> I always laugh at your CV because so long. You've done so many things. When I first met you, you, you were kind of, yeah, I, I had some spare time, so I went and did a law degree, and I had six months spare, so I co- wrote a couple of books. But basically, you are my Mr. Baseball. And in terms of British fans, you're very much Mr. Baseball because that Channel 5 late night baseball that we had sort of a decade ago, you were one of the faces of that. So the reason I'm talking to you is the Red Sox and the Yankees are coming over. End of June, two games, first time we've had baseball in the UK. Let me know your thoughts, whether it's the right time, whether it's enough, whether it should have happened sooner, because this is massive for, for baseball fans in the UK, right? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, just a, a little bit of uh, context and perspective. It isn't actually the first time that professional baseball has come to the UK. In 1993, I believe, a minor league team from the Red Sox and one from the New York Yankees, or excuse me, New York Mets, came and played uh, each other at the Oval. And it was a you know a pretty well-received game, but again, it was not the type of shop window uh, experience because you didn't have the two teams' major league sides. These were minor league sides. You did have major league players come over uh, to the UK earlier in the 20th century. Uh, in the 1920s, there were a couple of teams. New York Giants came over and played an exhibition game. There were also uh, instances at the start of the 20th century uh, and the end of the 19th century where you also had professional major league teams coming over. But those are all very deep in the past memory, and, and most people wouldn't even uh, realize that that occurred. Without a doubt, this is an important time for baseball to try and get on to the sporting landscape uh, in the UK and, and Europe in general. I do think they're a little bit on the late side. I first played for Great Britain's national team in 1996, and there were discussions and hopes of this occurring well back then. A lot of it had to do with sort of the, the people in power and major league baseball. But it's such a necessity now because when you look at the other major North American sports, you know, the NFL clearly has a huge beachhead uh, in the UK, you know, of course, talks about actually relocating a franchise there. The NBA and the NHL have also played many times. So uh, it's a necessity. And to the credit of Major League Baseball, the decision to bring in two of the most iconic franchises, potentially the two most iconic franchises in the Yankees and the Red Sox, shows their strength of resolve in terms of making this a, a serious play for the attention of the British sporting population. You were commentating on MLB, as I say, for Channel 5 and 5 Live. Just how popular was it? Because certainly NFL has massively benefited from Channel 4 in the 80s. It was a really cool thing for kids like of my age in their mid-teens. First time we'd seen NFL. And, and now we are the, the ticket buyers and even, even our sons and daughters are coming with us to the NFL games in London. So that was a, a welcome mat that they kind of put down. Did the same thing happen with the baseball coverage, albeit later, that you hosted? Yeah, I mean, I'll admit I'm biased uh, because I was so involved in that coverage uh, and cared very deeply about it. I'd like to believe that there was certainly a level of momentum that was building over that period. You know, the biggest in terms of ratings World Series was 1999. It was the Subway Series between the New York Mets and the New York Yankees. And we had audiences up to a, a million people watching those games. You know, but we pretty much kind of went off the air 2008, right when social media was really starting to develop and where I think you could actually build at even a greater rate. When we were doing the show, we would get emails in uh, and there wasn't that same level of interaction that you could uh, be able to use to create all the more interest. You know, Facebook really hadn't developed Twitter. All those elements really were things that developed uh, after the show uh, ended its, its run. And I believe that if it had have continued, you would have had more of an exponential growth compared to the type of growth we had over the the 10 years or so that we did the show that would have actually really laid even a greater foundation for these games. And of course, there was around that time, 2005, Britain got awarded or London got awarded the Olympics. And it meant that a Great Britain team would have got automatic entry to the Olympic baseball tournament and got funding as well. It didn't happen because baseball was voted out of the programme. That must have been a huge crush 
at the time because the door opened and then it slammed shut. Uh, beyond. I was playing for the Great Britain national team in 2005, and we were actually at the European Championships in the Czech Republic. And over, I believe it was either a three- or four-day period, we had the announcement that London had gotten the Olympics, which led to just, you know, absolute excitement amongst the team because a lot of the players were sort of seeing themselves as having an opportunity to play in the Olympics. Then we had the 7-7 bombings that occurred right after that, which was obviously shocking and very stressful. My wife was on the tube when that occurred. I mean, there were a lot of people who were, were very fearful and, and, and saddened, of course. It was a tragedy, a terrorist tragedy. And then after that, we found out that baseball was being taken off the program for the Olympics. It was a, a, a deeply emotional time and very heartbreaking because, like you said, Rich, there was an expectation when baseball was, uh, or excuse me, when London received the Olympics, that this was going to be a huge opportunity to create a big push for baseball in the UK. And tell us about the background of baseball in the UK, because you've written a couple of books on it. One is baseball in Europe, so you could put a context to the UK and the rest of Europe. But also, this is an interesting title, British Baseball and the West Ham Club, History of a 1930s Professional Team in East London. Right, you got two. I know you've written a book on it, and you can talk for ages about it. But give me two minutes on that one because I'm interested in that. In that, <laughs> one, and then talk about Europe as well, because you know I've seen softball played in Britain. I haven't really seen baseball played in Britain. But then again, I lived in Denver for two years, and I barely saw baseball played by kids in the US. <laughs> but we'll come to that in a minute. Just talk about the UK story and the Europe story. Sure. So uh, the book that you referenced, uh, British Baseball and the West Ham Club, focused primarily, although it really told the the expanse uh, in a survey form of all of the history of British baseball, but focused on a period in the 1930s where there was indeed professional baseball. John Moores, who is uh, very well known in obviously the Liverpool area for his pools and uh, his success as a businessman, decided that he wanted to create uh, baseball in a meaningful and lasting way in the UK. And he funded professional leagues. Uh, the teams were made up of not only British players, uh, but players from Canada who had come over and some American players. There were players in that league who would go on to play Major League Baseball in the United States. And there was serious fan support. There were leagues based up in the north of England. But the league that I focused on primarily was one that was set in London. White City had a team. There was a team in Catford. Streatham had a team. And of course, West Ham had a team and uh, looked at the West Ham team particularly closely. And those teams and those leagues were having definitely some attention, certainly in the media, but also were starting to create uh, some interest. The games were primarily played in large venues, in uh, dog racing tracks for the most part, although White City played uh, in White City, you know, in their large arena. And uh, basically what happened was that uh, there were a couple of issues that impacted it in, in somewhat of a negative way. The first was that there was sort of a feeling that there needed to be more development of British players, which has been a uh, issue and a trend throughout the history of baseball in Great Britain where people will come from the U.S. or Canada who have a lot of experience, and there's generally a feeling of whether are we developing enough British players. So you had some tension there that created a little discord in these leagues. But secondly, World War II came, uh, and that really put the kibosh on any long-term hopes for baseball. That was that period of history. Uh, in terms of the U.K.'s place in terms of baseball history in Europe, it really Great Britain and, and the UK broadly have the longest history and really one of the richest histories uh, in baseball. Not necessarily the best, but one of the longest. 
Baseball uh, first came uh, to the UK in the end of the 19th century. There was actually a professional league also uh, in 1890 that had, uh, in fact, teams that were related to association football clubs. Uh, Aston Villa uh, had a baseball team, for example, uh, in that league. Darby also played in that league, although it wasn't directly affiliated with uh, the football side. But um, baseball, from that period on, continued to have a presence in one way or another throughout the whole of the 20th century and uh, into the 21st century. It just never has able to really been able to galvanize in a way to bring it to a top level, a top shelf. You know, there are a lot of arguments as to why that the case has been. Um, I think one of the arguments was a protective nature in terms of the sporting culture, that if you weren't rugby, footy, or cricket, and, and cricket certainly had a, a direct competition to baseball, that you weren't really going to be able to break forward. And with baseball, you never, other than that period with John Moore, has had the same sort of financial backing to really put it on a place where it would compete uh, against cricket. There have been instances where there have been some reasonable grounds to play baseball. You know, the baseball pitch is a very unique field if you've seen it before, the way the diamond is set up and, uh, you know, the way you have the elements to that field. And so you really need to, if you've ever seen Field of Dreams, if you build it, he will come. Or as we all say, if you build it, they will come. This idea that, you know, you build a beautiful baseball field and people will uh, start to flock to it. There is some validity to that and there have been efforts to create baseball diamonds but nothing's ever been able to be created on a real high level uh, the most recent is in farnham park there is now sort of a national facility which is good but you know more development needs to be had from a, a facility standpoint if baseball is ever going to want to really break forward because baseball's or mlb's international strategy has taken them to japan well that's kind of obvious because there's a, a japanese league they've actually seen a japanese game Mexico, okay, I get that. That's that's right next door. I've been to Australia as well, a little bit of a wild card. But was the UK the obvious next place to go, or or should it have actually come just after Japan or just after Mexico? Well, it's interesting you bring that. Let's uh, talk about where the UK fits on the grander European scale, which is uh, it is certainly not the the strongest baseball power in Europe. The Netherlands and Italy both have very well established professional leagues with a reasonably high standard of play. Uh, Germany has also developed a tremendous amount and have uh, greater facilities. You can actually look at sort of secondary European countries from a baseball standpoint, places like Austria and Switzerland that actually even have more depth in terms of, of fields. But why choose Great Britain if all those other locations have potentially a little bit more interest uh, at this point? And I think it's sort of uh, you know the economic powerhouse that Great Britain can be if it shows interest in baseball. You know, it's a strong economy. It's shown interest in other North American sports. And so even though Holland a few years ago built a new facility to the specs of what would be required for a major league game in the anticipation and hope that it was going to get uh, major league baseballs in Hoofdorf, which is a suburb of Amsterdam. They were passed over, I think, because there is a great hope that Great Britain can sort of leapfrog these other countries uh, and have a greater interest over time. When I was in the US, saw a couple of Rockies games while I was there, and generally the feeling was the sport has has issues. It has a lot of issues in comparison to, say, NBA and MLS. It's got a much, much older fan base. NFL, we know, has got issues as well. But the real issue with baseball was slow play and the age of the fan base. That's what I perceived. Is that a justified criticism, in your opinion? 
Yeah, I think it's it's a very accurate. I think there are other issues as well too in terms of you know you mentioned that you lived out in Denver, you didn't even see that much uh, baseball being played at the youth level, and what we're seeing, and we see this in a number of other sports too, but uh, particularly so in baseball, is a, a tremendous amount of specialization. So that either you know at a much younger age than when I was playing. You determine whether you're going to be a baseball player or whether you're going to step away from baseball. There's no, there is recreational baseball up until about 11 or 12, but really, if you're not seen to be a person who can go down that pipeline to potentially play in college or maybe even professionally, you're going to step away from it. And I think that one of the big issues, along with the aging fan base, with the the speed of play, although I don't think the speed of play is as big an issue. Um, I think that people go to baseball games, you know, to have a or two to enjoy being in the sun and have the the sport is almost sort of a secondary issue. But I, I think that getting youth to be interested in baseball to play even at a recreational level and making that still an important part of the puzzle is deeply important. And I think that you know you look at uh, and it's great that you know Latin America has a huge percentage of Major League Baseball players, but even in the U.S., one of the big issues have been the demographics of people who play. You know, African Americans a huge part of the history of Major League Baseball for better and for worse. I mean, they're you know awful. You know, the color barrier in which African American players were not allowed to play in the major leagues until Jackie Robinson broke that after that you know you had such a great history of so many of the greatest stars from hank aaron to reggie jackson to vast numbers of players were african-american and we saw a tremendous dip uh, in terms of interest from that community there's a, tr- a big effort now to try and turn the corner on that so it's getting people in the united states of all types to be interested in baseball at the youth level regardless of whether you think you're going to be a college player or a major league player yeah so couple of baseball games being played by kids just driving around Denver. Didn't see virtually any NFL or American football, rather, being played. Obviously, there's tons and tons and tons and tons of soccer being played. I saw more soccer pitches than anything else. And obviously, basketball uh, hoops are, are on in every park. So there's always the opportunity of playing there. Funnily enough, my um, son at school level ended up doing a couple of projects on Jackie Robinson and I remember he dressed up as Babe Ruth as a for a school project and we and we got him some kit for that reason and so it's still got that massive cultural importance baseball it seems well and I think that you know you you have to really keep in mind that cultural piece because Kids I grew up with who didn't play baseball, who really wasn't part of their lives, I see them posting on social media all the time about the Dodgers. I grew up in Los Angeles, so they're posting about the Dodgers and how they're doing it, and they're going to games. I still do believe that even for people who don't play it, baseball resonates as sort of a, a social piece to go to games, and that baseball still has a place on the landscape because people like that environment. And it's so very different from the environment at an NFL game or even NBA, NHL, certainly different than you know soccer association football in that it is a much more laid back relaxed sort of environment it's not about you know intense fandom it's about sort of a passive enjoyment of being out in the sun and as sort of an excuse is the game to you know just sort of chat with your friends as you have something in the background it's just it's a very different vibe and i do think 
that it has a place because of that. And I think it distinguishes itself because of that. And and that's why baseball financially remains a tremendous success in the United States. It may not be uh, as important as football in terms of the intensity of the fandom, but financially it's been doing quite well. A lot of that has to do with sort of the economics of baseball. When you play 162 games and you're a broadcaster and you have the opportunity to pick up that much programming, there's a great value in that. You don't get anything like that even in NFL, excuse me, NHL or NBA where you have half those games. So baseball has that value. If it starts to decrease in terms of what its value is to the media and as a programming piece, then they may be in a little bit of trouble because the gate has seen a little bit of drop. But keep in mind, even on a bad day, 162 games, on a bad day you're getting 15 thousand on a good day you're getting thirty thousand that's a lot of people when you have that many games at the rockies they had a fantastic bar as you said it was a it became an event you were going to socialize with friends they had a fantastic rooftop bar you could see all over the rockies see the denver Broncos stadium and the pepsi center and all that it's fantastic is that pulling away from the sport i mean cricket i always say is in the nicest possible way a wonderful waste of time and is is baseball a little bit like that is it pulling away from the sport when you are marketing it all almost as come for the social part oh and the game will go on in the background is that is that a dangerous path for baseball to go down yeah even before you said it the word that came to mind is dangerous uh i do think so i mean you want to have fervency you want to have a level of deep loyalty to the sport more than to the experience of being around the sport and there is a danger to that it's the low-hanging fruit of course and that's why we're seeing you know Atlanta. They recently tore down a stadium that was just about a decade old to build a new one that would be even fancier and have more bells and whistles and have more elements to to make the family interested in. I do think as a long-term play, it's something to be concerned about. You need to have the interest in the sport and so, you know, that's why the youth piece is important. They have people who've played it, that love it for their experience with it, and it resonates long term because they can remember when they were, you know, 13 years old or playing in high school when they were 17, and that gets them excited about it. So I think it's important. I think that's one of the reasons that Major League Baseball also sees Europe as an important uh, landing spot because you go into a new environment and you hope that you get people very excited about it who might not have had that previous bias of just going for the beers uh, and people can get very excited about the sport in and of itself uh, and that can create a new not only fan base but playing base let's talk social media um in my realm mlb advanced media have been one of the shining lights that they were one of the first sports organizations to properly invest i remember going to their new york headquarters 10 years ago and they were having dedicated social media reporters and they had social media sentiment analysis caves almost people sitting through and looking at the comments they were investing in a way that no other organization was at the time obviously others have caught them up but that always surprised me given what i'd heard about the age of the audience that they were real first movers in social media and digital media should i be surprised by that uh, it, it was one of the greatest brilliance of Major League Baseball. You know, they've been slow potentially in other areas, but when it came to issues relating uh, to the internet, to streaming, they were at the foreground of it. And 
I think from a financial standpoint, it has been such a boon for them for them to have the ownership. MLB.tv was sort of at the front end of people being able to buy in and Major League Baseball being able to get that money while still being able to sell in local markets, you know, rights to, to watch. So they were sort of able to win on both sides of that. I wonder sometimes, though, from a UK perspective, and again, this is my bias speaking as someone who was on uh, the a national broadcast for it, uh, is that when MLB TV started having tremendous success, I don't think there was much of as much of an imperative for Major League Baseball to be on uh, national TV from that standpoint. And what you end up getting there, and this is a problem across the board with social media and with the internet, is you get that balkanization, right? Where you get people who love baseball being able to easily and happily find what they want to watch, but you have increasingly fewer people who may be either casual fans or may not even be fans having that opportunity to sort of stumble upon baseball and to start falling in love with it. That was what was so brilliant, I think, about the Channel 5 coverage is that so many of the people who are the hardcore fans now just happen to be up late at night, they watched the baseball, and they fell in love with it. And I think that you always need to balance that financial bottom line, that ability to be able to get all that money from all these different sources with how do I build the game, maybe in a way that might not be, uh, you know, the best financially in the short term, but will bring in more fans. And if you look at the long horizon, will be the, the best course of action. And I hope that the folks who are sort of running Major League Baseball now recognize that and make an effort and a play to try and lure people who aren't fans or maybe casually know baseball in markets like the UK via that type of broader broadcasting that may not have the same value as what they've gotten out of advanced media, but may have sort of a long-term better play. Yeah, I mean, just picking up what you said there, it's almost like UK baseball has been pretty darn unlucky, not only with the Olympics thing, which, which was which was actually massive, but also had social media been a little bit more advanced your show on Channel 5 was through the night. And so if you I've been reading around it and it it was a bit of a cult audience of shift workers and students and people who couldn't get to sleep <laughs> realistically yeah. in the nicest possible way. But had you had that interaction, that would have advanced what you were doing and developed what you were doing because cults grow on social media and this had a little cult around it Ch channel five was relatively new we still ha haven't had the expansion of channels so much so it was live sport during the night on terrestrial tv there wasn't a lot of that around and it's a small audience it's a niche audience it's a cult audience but that's going to grow a lot through social media so had social exploded just a few years earlier you could have ridden that wave a little bit uh, I completely agree. Uh, I think that uh, people I know who have worked in, on the NFL side uh, through that boom, uh, Nat Coombs and Mike Carlson, people I'd worked with and continue to work with, they saw that happen and they saw the value of how you could use social media to really develop a sport that otherwise would be a little niche. And uh, I think baseball could have uh, definitely ridden that same wave and, and the timing just was unfortunate for it. Very long-term sport, long, long playing time sport is there an issue of speeding the game up i mean you, you push back slightly against that but i'm looking at 2020 cricket has really taken over from even 50 over cricket 20 over innings cricket rather than 50 over cricket has really exploded in tennis you've got the tie break tens now which is effectively just tie break breaks being played snookers speeding up as well 
is there anything possible that we can do with baseball and is there a need for it? I mean, there are definitely efforts that are occurring on the margins. Play clocks so that in between pitches, uh, you move faster. These are all uh, being tried out in the minor leagues. Uh, there is uh, a rule in extra innings now in baseball that have been used internationally for a number of years. They're now using in minor league baseball where you start an inning when you uh, get past the regulation nine innings, so in the 10th and 11th and so on, with a player on base at second base, which is uh, meant to speed up those extra inning affairs, which to me is a little counterintuitive because I sort of feel like when you get to extra innings, that's when it's exciting. It's sudden death. So I'm not sure that's really the place where you, you want to, uh, you know, sort of lay down the line to speed things up. Uh, you know, uh, baseball could completely reinvent itself. Uh, NHL has done that a number of times in terms of a number of players on the ice in certain circumstances. It's a hard one, though, right? Because baseball is so built on its tradition. That's its pride and joy. And you almost need to have, you know, a different code version of baseball to potentially do that. The International Baseball Organization, the World Softball Baseball uh, Confederation, has started this new type of sort of street baseball game. It doesn't use a bat and you kind of slap the ball with your hand, but it's done on a diamond and the rules are somewhat similar. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. They've just started really trying to roll that out internationally to see whether that develops some interest. You know, Finland has Pesapalo, which is kind of a, a speed up uh, sort of funky LSD version of baseball. And um, it's an interesting sport and a faster sport too. So this is a long way of saying that I'm torn as a person who loves the, the traditional piece of baseball. I, I love it. I just don't, if you're going to make changes, don't make them on the margins, be bold about it, uh, or otherwise stick to what is uh, the traditional version. I mean, there's always going to be a place for test cricket. It's going to be for maybe the real fans. You either change it to 2020, which is a fundamentally very different game, or you keep test cricket. You don't try and do something in between. I guess that would be my statement for baseball. Yeah, I mean, that is where I am with cricket in that I'm a huge fan of test cricket. I'm a huge fan of 2020 because one's the ultimate test and one's the wham-bam and thank you, ma'am, and that's great. The one format that is being squeezed out is 50-over cricket, which is longer short form cricket is 50 overs is a full day rather than a three-hour evening session or something like that and that's the one that's under pressure in that you've got the purist and you've got the entertainment and those do their jobs fine it's it's when you're in the halfway house i think you're in trouble now because the two extremes do their job really well on those extremes is there scope therefore for a properly short form of baseball you keep exactly what you've got you have a different tournament because that's what you've got with cricket. That's what you've got with this tiebreak tens, which is which is growing up. You have different forms of the same sport growing up, which are effectively different tournaments. Now that's a huge sea change for something like the MLB, but it is a way of keeping the purists happy and yet changing for, for modern times. Yeah, I mean, as I said, the international governing bodies. Uh, come up with this sort of street version game, um, which you kind of uh, use an open hand, you slap a ball. But that's but it's not for pros, on. right? But, that, but that's not for no, pros. No, that's, that's not for, for pros. Participation. I, here's the problem. It's, it's hard to compare cricket to baseball because baseball is such a mature financial driver. Uh, you know, cricket has been, you know, sort of more county driven. And then 2020 came up 
as the professional answer in a way. I mean, I realize that there have been, you know, professional, you know, one days and so forth in, in cricket. But, you know, I, I think that there was a little bit more room to try and go with something that could be sort of a financial driver. Baseball already has that. So you're trying to tell people who are deep in ownership, deeply financially committed, let's scrap this and start something completely new. And that's probably very fearful to the powers that be because it, for all of baseball's you know difficulties it's a tremendous cash cow still for those uh, those ownership groups so to try and get them to think in a way that is so radically different uh, is such a hard sell i would i would expect yeah and also if you're playing 150 160 games a year you don't want more games you're gonna have to take some out to put something in and therefore some stage turkeys will be voting for christmas because if you're going to reduce the amount of games you're you're going to have um clubs going by the wayside reducing the amount of teams or something like that anyway just moving on slightly for these games in the uk what is your definition of success uh, to be honest, I, I feel like, in a scary way, the initial games that are going to occur next year, uh, it's going to be hard for them to have great success, but there is possibility for failure. They need to certainly sell out those games, which I think is very doable. I think the bigger question is, is baseball, uh, Major League Baseball is pretty much committed to games the following year as well. And that will be the crucible for Major League Baseball because they're not going to have the same teams. They're going to have to bring in probably uh, teams that are less high profile. You won't have the spectacle of the, the first time. So you're going to have to really be able to drive a lot of interest off of that first game to uh, create momentum for those second series of games. Those games, if they can, you know, sell out, uh, if there can be some momentum based off of those games, that will be the real sign of success. That those games sell out, that you're getting more buzz and more interest in baseball, uh, both from a, a development playing standpoint, but also from an, a viewership uh, interest. I'll be very curious to see if Major League Baseball tries uh, or, or considers putting baseball off of pay TV and back onto, in some way, back onto a terrestrial type of form or a more accessible form, because I think that that's so essential to developing a fan base. And they've done a deal on Facebook, isn't it? I think it's Thursday afternoon games, isn't it? It's ex an exclusive deal on Facebook the MLB. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, there's been a lot of pushback by fans as well, too, because uh, I have a subscription to MLB TV, and I want to watch it on MLB TV, where I get the specific broadcasters and able to watch it in a way that doesn't have all the distractions of the hearts coming up and, and you know all the chatter uh, coming down the line. But Major League Baseball is, again, this speaks back to what they've done with advanced media. They're so forward-thinking, so they're trying to come up with ways to fully leverage uh, social media opportunities but the the purest fans don't like it you've got uh, that sort of opportunity coming up i think it's definitely a, a bit of a not a mixed message but a difficult sort of line to toe because you know you want to figure out a way to make people who love baseball not be distracted by that stuff but you want to bring in new people i'm just not sure in the u.s it's such a saturated market that having those facebook games uh, are necessarily going to bring more fans in again when you're coming to a new market like the uk and it's not new, but you know, sort of an underdeveloped market, I guess would be the better way to say it. You need to figure out a way to be able to get games in the hands of those people in a way that even if it's a little bit of a loss leader from a financial perspective, it widens the audience. Yeah, because it's going to be at the London Stadium, home of West Ham, 55,000. That's probably okay when there's a novelty. 
depending on the price of the tickets. I mean, I'm not a massive baseball fan, but I'd be interested if it's relatively competitively priced because it's it's a novelty. The following year is going to be very interesting if and when that wears off. Yeah. I, you know, since I've worked at Major League Baseball, there's been a change in terms of the people who run the office for MLB in London. And uh, they're very talented marketers. They put on an event at Hyde Park last year that was a home run derby. They had two teams. It was I put my hands up. It was a fantastic event. They had a lot of people there. It was just very well done. And basically, they need to come up with a number of events that are like that. They have a real good savvy sense of, of sort of the younger market, the, the millennial market, and even younger. And if they can continue with events like that to serve as shoulder programming to these bigger events, I think they have a shot at this. It's just a question of what they can come up with, what resources they're going to have to do it, and, you know, whether it's enough. Can it truly be an international sport? I, I definitely think so. I mean, obviously, it's huge in Latin America. It's huge in Japan. Uh, it still has a very robust following in, in the U.S. Uh, and Canada and Mexico and in the North American piece. I do think so. I mean, look at the NFL. I mean, NFL took a long time. They had the World Football League. There were a lot of false starts with the NFL before it finally coalesced in a way uh, that people in the UK see it as an important part of their sporting landscape. I don't see why baseball should be any different. You know, the thing is with all these sports is overcoming sort of that initial attitude for people who don't know the game. So with the NFL, it was... Oh, that's just, you know, those are, you know, they're not rugby players. They have to wear their pads and uh, they're a little soft. Uh, and once you started seeing the, you know, unbridled physicality of it, you saw that it was a very different game from rugby. And of course, baseball always has to fight in the UK that it's just glorified rounders. Not understanding a sport is often why people dismiss a, a sport. Uh, understanding it really makes you understand that any sport played at its highest level is really beautiful to watch if you love sport in general. Uh, you see the athleticism, the strategy, and what is required to be successful at that high level. Uh, it's hard not to fall in love with it if you love sport in general. Yeah, I think having seen the NFL at Wembley, and I've seen baseball, as I said, I've seen it in Japan, and I've seen the Cubs play, and I've seen the Rockies play. And one thing that struck me is with their NFL, the, the TV production is so fantastic that for a relative novice such as myself, so much of the game is explained to me <laughs> that I miss it when it's not there, when I'm seeing it live. However, in baseball, I understood much more of it because less of it is actually overtly explained. There aren't on-field on graphics explaining minutiae. So I found in many ways watching baseball as a relative novice a better experience for that. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I do. I do. It's interesting that you say that. I mean, the way the NFL is composed today, so much of it was composed for television. Uh, the AFL, which ended up merging with the NFL, was basically a, a television-driven type of league. And so many of the innovations uh, that we see in terms of watching sport on television came from the NFL. So they were always going to be structured for uh, for TV. Uh, you know, baseball does suffer from the fact that it is a deeply complicated sport, much in the same way cricket is. I'll bring American friends to watch cricket, and they're like, okay, leg before wicket. I don't get, you know, they they get very confused very easily. And I think the same is true for baseball. But the beauty of those type of, of complicated sports is that when you master the rules, 
it becomes something that you love to watch because you are now the master of that game and you understand the strategy. Uh, and it's almost like you're in the club. And when you get into the club, you want to stay in the club. And that's one of baseball's great uh, uh, values that once you figure it out, it can be a, a very seductive type of game to watch. Which one of the publicized challenges to baseball are real in your opinion and which ones are fallacies? We've talked about some of them. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, certainly the willingness to be open-minded and to make changes uh, is a big one. And we talked about it. And, you know, again, baseball scared because they're a traditional sport and they only want to change things on the margins. You look at the NBA and, and what they did and what their commissioner did over the last few decades. Uh, this That sport has risen to nearly the top of the sporting landscape worldwide because they were very open uh, to doing things and making changes that could make this sport uh, more lovable. I think along those lines, one of the biggest challenges for baseball that they really need to focus on is to become more personality driven. Uh, I think it's uh, what has made uh, basketball very successful, football, even American football to a certain extent, is that they've allowed personalities to come out and really drive interest in the game. And for better or for worse, that's where we're at at sports right now. Uh, you know, We're about falling in love with players and following those players more than even teams in certain instances. Baseball's currently dealt with a number of issues with uniforms, for example where players want to be able to express themselves more with different types of cleats, for example, spikes, and Major League Baseball is pushed back. They do have a weekend in which they try to allow for that, but that's not enough. And I think that that, if I were going to be advising Major League Baseball on how to be able to broaden their appeal, would be at the top of the list, is make your players uh, the greatest ambassadors and salesmen by allowing their personalities to come out. And we've seen that for some traditionalists, this is a big problem, right? We've people who hit home runs and then flip their bats. You have half the fan base saying, oh, that's against you know the, the conservative nature of baseball. And the other half saying, that's what I like to see. I like to see the enthusiasm and the excitement, you know, you see that with this, you know, with footy all the time. Um, that's one of its greatest values is that you have these players uh, who are allowed to be themselves. Uh, and that's one of the reasons the fan base love, loves the sport. And that was my final question is what's your pitch to a, to a UK person who doesn't know much about the sport? Why should they be interested in these games? What's it still got? Because we see from the outside, baseball is um, is one of the sports that could go. Like cricket, is one of the sports that could go. That's that's the perception. So, what's it got, and why should the Brits be interested in these games? Yeah, I mean, there's certain sports where you really see athleticism on television, um, but then when you see it live, you really are able to appreciate athleticism. I felt that way uh, about the premiership. The first time I went to a game, I'd seen footy on TV a number of times. I went to a game, I realized, oh my God, the work rate is amazing in this sport. And I felt it never translated tremendously on TV. I think to a certain extent, uh, and fo American football really translates on TV. But I think that baseball, when you see it live, it is a completely different vibe and one that can really draw you in. You see a, the a level of athleticism, the ability to run down a, a fly ball that's hitting the gap. And the athleticism of, of laying out to make those catches, you know, is of the highest level of athleticism. So, I, you know, my 
great pitches to be open-minded because it's more athletic than you think. That's point number one, which I think is always the big criticism. Oh, these big fat guys, you know, playing this sport. That's not accurate. And I think second is being open-minded to learn the intricacies of the game because I think that it is one of the most interesting tactical and strategic games that there are out there that's hard to get your head around until you actually really understand it to a certain level. But once you do, there's so much of... What what sports fans love is to sit back in their chair and to be able to predict what's going to happen or to argue against a coach's decision or to, you know, argue, uh, you know, how a player makes a decision on the field. Baseball is great for that. There's so much in the term is a f- American idiomatic term for football, but Monday morning quarterbacking, which means that, you know, after the fact being able to say, no, he should have done that or should have done that. And that's one of the great enjoyments for sports fans. And baseball has that in spades. Josh Chetwin, thank you very much. Thanks, Rich. You've been listening to Sport, Digital and Social with Mr. Richard Clark. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. You can find Richard on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching for at Mr. Richard Clark or at his website, mrrichardclark.com. Mr. Richard Clark.